Nope. Oh, my wonderful friends. This is your friendly weirdo speaking. Uh, some days I do say that I am because I can't quite find a word that I think describes myself because my personality is very, uh, it's very positive, but it's very quirky, very nerdy, very sassy, um, but at the same time, very, like, shy and quiet and introverted. Um, I wanted to talk about my introverts out there. Um, and what that's like, um, and about school from, I guess, my perspective as being an introvert, um, and maybe this, if a parent listens to this, that maybe hearing this might help with your child, um, but I was... Uh, I, I should say my start with the academic issues started in kindergarten. Um, it, apparently, I was very slow to get my work done, so much so that all the other kids in the class would just f- do it for me, just so we could get done. And I know myself, when I kind of get into a project, especially with it's an art project, I am very meticulous, and I take a long time, and I used to be I really messy, because I had this vision of how I wanted to turn it out, and then it just, it wouldn't, it would just be not looking like that, and I would get frustrated. So my mind, making it look worse and ugly, basically destroying it, um, and I just, it didn't make me feel better, I just made it, I felt like, like, a failure, I was just, like, embarrassed, like, I wanted to start it for, um, because I was, like, I was, like, what my friends had painted, and I just, oh, man, I feel so outside, I feel like such an outsider, and I feel normal, and it is totally normal to feel like you're an outsider in your own world, like, just, like, I don't match up with them, um, and so it's kind of always been me. And at first, I resented it a lot. Um, I hated that I couldn't seem to fit in or make friends or just, like, approach other kids and talk to them. Like, it was always just some sort of issue. And I, you know, I didn't think about it. Um, during this time between kindergarten and age probably nine, maybe less than that, probably seven, um, I was tested three times for different learning disabilities, and keep in mind this was the 90s, so the, the information that there is today about learning disabilities and stuff really wasn't there, so they kind of just slapped the ADD level, label on me, and um, they put me on uh, Ritalin, which made me just stare out in space. So they thought the solution was to up the dosage, and that didn't work. Um, but at that point, my mom, who is absolutely been a fire in my corner from 
day one, she, um, she was that mom that she was at PTA meetings. She met with teachers. She, she did whatever she had to do to make sure that I could do the best that I could in school. And, um, for me and my sister. And, um, we both had IEPs and my sister was in the gifted program. And because of the discrepancies in my testing, so my reading and my writing were high, but my math and science scores were low. And the discrepancy was so much that I wouldn't have, didn't meet the criteria to be in the gifted program. So I was just in regular classes. Um, and my, you know, my sister is really, really smart. And it was like a no-brainer that she got in there. Um, and in time... I actually recently found a bunch of work from my elementary school days that my mom saved. And I was here thinking that I was getting all A's to elementary school, and I was surprised at the amount of F's. And I was like, I'm surprised, genuinely surprised I didn't get held back a grade. And for whatever reason, it was in the cards that I would keep going grade to grade. But it, it kind of became obvious to everyone that I had really big issues with focusing um, paying attention, um, getting distracted really easily, and um, I would miss directions. Even though it's like plain as day, right there, for some reason, it, there would almost always be a note somewhere, didn't follow directions. And then I look and see, I'm like, oh, oh, oh. That totally didn't seem like that when I was, you know, I'm doing so it, it was a journey of, of a lot of frustrations and kind of realizing for me, public school system where I lived wasn't working for me. And that's where I was for elementary school. So then I went to private Christian school and that was no, no better in the sense that I really didn't get the help I was received and kind of generally felt ignored. Um, it was obvious by my classmates um, because I didn't grow up going from like kindergarten all the way through, like basically grew up with them at that school. I was basically an outsider. I was like one and I was just iced out. But um, there was a teacher there, Miss Cooley, and she was uh, really nice. And um, then there was the the music teacher who I ended up finding out was the sister of the music teacher that I had in um, the public elementary school, which he's one of the most awesome music teachers that there is. And if your kid ever has him, one of the two most amazing music teachers, I'll say that. And he just made music fun. Versus with her, it just, it didn't, it wasn't fun. Um, and, um, they want, I'm not going to the details later, but I, um, did not last long before I turned to a school that laid out the claim that they could help kids with learning disabilities. And I was given this little laptop, which was called an Alpha Smart, which is basically, it was barely there was a teeny tiny little screen, and all you could do was type on it, and you had a cord, and it 
had Mac on one side, if you had an Apple computer, and PC on the other side, and you had a cord. And um, if you had to do an assignment on that, dance on that, plugged it into the cord, you plugged it into the back of your computer, and then you had to like upload it. Know, it was a whole process. Um, but eventually that school led to a lot of trauma and the worst bullying ever. And I got out of that school. My mom pulled me. And I kind of got a fresh start where I went to another private school that really was, you know, didn't just stick out this claim and didn't totally fall flat on it. Like, they actually, every student there was had some form of learning disability or their issue. And so would that make this school a really great place? Because they had the teachers that had the patience to work with kids that needed the extra time and the extra patience. Um, it had way smaller class sizes. I ended up meeting my best friend um, there and several friends that, yeah, I kind of just took them with me as time has gone. And I think I grew the most because I think I felt like I experienced school the way that it should have been and so much so I got I loved the school so much that I didn't want to leave it but at the time they didn't have a high school part of it when I was leaving they were adding in the ninth grade so I asked my parents if I could stay there but they said no it's gonna be really good if you grow um and I applied to a Catholic high school and I got my first acceptance into a school, and I was really excited. And I had to do this. Um, the school requires if you get in, it's like a summer comprehensive thing to sort of get you ready to actually start the school year. And while we were there, this bridge was built that connected the buildings. And my class that graduated was the first class that actually got to use the bridge. Um, so that was really cool. Um, didn't really make long-lasting friendships. There are a few people that I still talk to on Facebook, but other than that, uh, but there they had the Champagne program, which is classes for kids, for teenagers with learning disabilities. So you get all the same classes that all other kids get, but it is designed with your IEP in mind, with smaller class sizes, and I did really well in there. And I went fully mainstream, which is what they call it, which is mainstreamed into regular classes pretty fast. And um, I like, uh, after that, it was kind of all up from there. Um, after, after that, I went to... Uh, college and there it's a completely different ball game when you're talking about learning disabilities now my first time I went away to college apparently because my last testing was so long ago I had to get retested so and I paid for but because I was doing it at the college it was considerably less expensive still expensive but less expensive than it would have been if it went to like an outside place and their testing was a lot, came back a lot more detailed and showed 
executive functioning disorder and cognitive functioning disorder. And uh, basically, it made more sense to me. She goes, like, you might have a little bit of ADD, but not to the extent that your previous, like, testing has said. Like, you say that you showed it to me. Um, I can find, find it somewhere. You know, talk about it. But, um, and I remember doing this testing and reminding me of stuff that I did when I was little. And I thought it was, like, kindergarten fourth grade level stuff maybe and then it was like wow and then I was just surprised by the the results um and they study everything from like what time you show up for the testing because you're given a time and you know how long it takes you to complete each section how well we're able to follow the directions so on and so forth and so naturally following the directions like if it's written out what you're supposed to do and actually mess up on that part then still um and there was a part on a computer and so that's where those two came in and i've been researching those two ever since because and i'd never heard of it before but I always do wonder if there's other things too, but that's to explore later on down the road. Um, in the meantime, now we're kind of having a better explanation of my particular struggles with school in terms of grades, especially once I was put in bigger class sizes. Um, or if it's all want to work for me, uh, if I'm given a lot, uh, for example, one of the classes that I was in over this past semester, the work that was given was just nonstop. It was just constantly piled on, and it was like the way it was set up, there was no way that you could finish it in a deadline, and I was getting really overwhelmed and frustrated, and I was, like, wanting out of this course, but I didn't know what to do. I felt stuck. And eventually, I was able to get help. And that's something that I learned was that I don't have to try to do everything all by myself. And it is okay to get help. And I want my listeners to know that. You don't have to try to take to do everything by yourself. Getting frustrated and overwhelmed and just, like, ready to be done it is a totally normal feeling. I feel a lot those days. But, um, those days. So, you know, that you, you and I were, were not much different um, in that respect. Um, so, these days, knowing what I know about myself, which is I have trouble focusing and paying attention. Um, and I start getting some more spaced out and distracted the longer I'm working on something. I figured out the way it works best for me is that I work on things a little bit at a time. Um, and this might work for you, uh, is to take things in small sections and just work on that section. And 
call that your accomplishment. You know, don't. Some people can like do all of the things at once, but some of us have to just break it down into smaller to digestible chunks. And that for me, that's what um, I have to do. So like I've been writing a paper and I've just been doing, I did little bits um, versus my old tactics, which would be to try to write the entire paper the day before it was due. And um, it's not a position you want to put yourself in because you want to be able to do really good. But I was just so frustrated by research papers that I just would kind of figure out, okay, this is the word count. And uh, for lack of a better word term, there was a point where I did kind of take BS my way through research papers because I just got so frustrated and like just I was ready to quit and I was just done. Um, and I feel like it's funny against myself because my natural inclination as a writer is to write stories and to write from my opinion and my view. So to take those things away and have to write to basically like not have those tools or be able to use those and I only write strictly from an academic perspective is extremely frustrating for me. It feels like writing with me how much time I'm time I put back. It just it feels very restricting. So I, I the writing it out part is hard, but the research part of it is a little bit more enjoyable. Um, um, for me, my best way of getting sources, even though it may not be heard by some professors or teachers, is for me, because I am very much an audiovisual learner, is a lot of internet sources, but I make sure that they're like .org, .edu, uh, .gov type sources. Uh, I kind of just, and I'll things that I'm not going to put in my paper, but I feel like it really provided good research uh, because I can't really write what my intention is or write what I'm writing about until I'm understanding the subject material. So to do that, sometimes I have to go on my own adventures out there and just pull on a little bit more information and maybe have find places that have it more broken down where I can, okay, I can understand it. Um, okay, now I know how to explain this in my paper. Um, so I suggest doing that, like, know the source, figure out that the acceptable source is in a university format. That's usually anything that's .org, .edu, .gov, this, things like that. Um, and no professor ever on the planet will ever accept Wikipedia as a source because it can be changed so you don't know if that information is actually true. I highly suggest if you are like a college student or your school, even high school, has um, a library that's paid for access to these online sources, use them because they're your most legitimate sources to journals, articles, periodicals. And uh, sometimes it takes, it's like putting it on a haystack, but you, you'll find that little piece of gold you're looking for that will fit right in perfect with your paper. Um, if your school has a writing center, oh my goodness, take advantage of that. I've worked with them, and I'll be working with them on my upcoming paper. Um, 
school has a really phenomenal writing center. And right now, because of COVID, they're doing completely virtual. But man, they have really helped me understand my writing. And so it, this answered all these questions I have. And that's another thing. Is don't be, I always want to some people that's like, I don't need the sources. And I would hear a million times about their writing center and all this, but I kind of blew it off. I kind of ignored it. Don't ignore it because it is a thousand times so helpful. And sometimes you have to get over your own ego and yourself and accept the help because sometimes it's really hard to accept the help when you're so used to like, you know, I can figure this out on my own. But sometimes you need help. You need to pull in the Calvary. Um, that's what kind of was thinking about being thankful for is that I had parents that made sure that I was able to get the best education that I could. And, you know, I think there are some things in, so far in college that nobody could have ever prepared for, but uh, we've learned, and I've learned to adapt. And I went in with this semester and the mindset that I'm going to do my absolute best on everything, and I'm not going to put undue pressure on myself, and I know exactly what I'm capable of, and I've been constantly working on standing on my own two feet and speaking my voice when I know I need to speak it, and you'll ask some family members, they'll say, she only speaks when she has something to say, which is kind of true, um. And I've just straight up asked professors because I kind of can know the vibe when they're just not really accepting of the learning disabled community. Um, I don't want to have to be somebody that has to go in and just like, oh, professor, I was in the hospital. This happened and I need an extension. Like, I don't want to have to do that. Um, but I said to myself, if I have to do it, it's okay. Um, because we know, do whatever you need to do to make sure that you're okay. And, yeah, make sure that you're okay first, right? And focus on everything. Things things have a way of working themselves out. So don't worry about it. You know, everybody has a way of doing college that works for them. And I'm kind of figuring out that the way that works for me is that I have to basically do it my way. Um, I had to, okay, see, uh, another thing I recommend is if you want to get an idea for the professors you're getting, there's a uh, website called Rate My Professor. Um, go on it, put your professor's name on, and you will find out all of the stunning reviews, and you'll figure out really quickly if you have a professor that is very good, or if you have a professor that you need to get out of that class, like ASAP. So, um, and it was the source game thing years when I first started. Um, and some, a lot of different things that I was giving in high school for scholarship things that I put on to because it's great sources. Um, there are definitely things that even if you're going to grad school, I think that those sources could still come in handy. 
camp. Now the thing is, every golf student gets frustrated and they are just done by the end of the semester. But you know what? It's basically the end of the semester almost at every university. And you know what? We done did it, you know? Um, we should be proud of ourselves. And you know what? I've also learned from having to drop some semesters is sometimes um, sometimes it's the hardest thing you have to do is to drop this course because there's all these different variables, right? But for me, it was a health thing. And I was like, I can't be the best student I can be if I'm not healthy. And it was a moment of for this minute, I have to put myself first, and I have to get healthy, and I have to be in a better mindset, and it is, it is okay to walk away for a little bit, get healthy, get in a good mindset, and then come back, and I don't you know, I mean, you're lucky if you finish college in four years. I haven't. I'm still doing it. I'm still going for it because I'm, I'm not done. The story is not complete. It does not feel complete. And I'm going to tell you something. When did I get that degree and you finished everything it required, you walk across that stage and you're capping down your diploma. It is the sweetest feeling in the whole world of success. And just like I went through so much in getting this and I got it and um, you better believe I have my diplomas on my walls where everybody can see it because I want to share that accomplishment with them um, it's proof positive that you can go through anything in life and if you are determined to see it through and to fight for it you will get it uh, there is a thing I heard called manifesting and I just was I think it's interesting, but it's, it's kind of the same concept. If, if you want something bad enough, it will happen. You know, it doesn't matter what it is, if it's college, if it's dance, if it's professional sports, you know, whatever it is in life that you want to pursue, you know, sometimes obstacles happen and things happen and it seem, might seem like life is saying that you shouldn't be doing this, but if your heart is still in it, and you still want to go for it, go for it. In my, in my mind, and I've realized this with college, with life, that the only person who's ever really been in my way is me. Um, and um, once I got, in my, got out of my own way, it opened my eyes to what I really could do. And I better college student. I wanted to be the student that I've always known I've been, but never had the opportunity to show it. Um, so I want you guys to take that with you, like no matter what it is in life that you're pursuing. You shouldn't let other people tell you, no, you can't. You can't do this. You can't do that. I mean, especially if you're 18, if you're living out of your house, where there's a will, there is a way. And people, there's just people in the world that like to hold you back and like to hold you down and tell you you can't or tell you that 
you're not worth it or you'll never make it or you'll never amount to something. And those people, they're just toxic and they're poisonous and they're just not people you want in your life. You need people in your life that support you, that you know are going to be in your corner and you'll find those people. Those people will find you half the time and you'll figure out who these people are. And never in any situation, sometimes you have to advocate for yourself and be willing to fight for it. Even and sometimes you're betting against people that you love, you know, and um, I've certainly had the discussion because I love school and I was not ready to give up on the stream and I am not. And I've had the argument with my parents of dropping out and all this other stuff. And, you know, but putting my feelings out there, and I think them saying that I was still really passionate about it. But there was points that I was definitely burnt out. And so taking the time to sort of reinvigorate myself, take a step back, get healthy, all that stuff. And then coming back at it was like some of the best decisions I've ever made because then I wasn't also stressing about school. But now it's more of like I'm enjoying it and I don't mind the work. I really don't. It keeps me busy and if it's something you really love, you'll you'll enjoy it. And I hope that all of you are able to pursue your passions whatever they are and wherever they take you, you know, but nothing holds you back. I wish that, my wish for all of you is that for 2021 that you could see through that you get a chance, chance to fulfill all your dreams and that you get every opportunity that you deserve coming your way. And if you're in a bad situation, if you're in a bad way, if you're in a way where you just don't see, know that there is. Know that you can come through this. You are not alone in this world. You are. You are worthy, and you are a beautiful person. You're a handsome person. You are everything in this world. You are special to somebody. You are loved. You are blessed, even though sometimes it doesn't seem like it. And you have potential. And I'm telling you right here and now, I believe in you. I got faith in you. That you're going to do this, you're going to make it, you're going to go far. And sometimes, go far. And I want you to love yourself. I want you to work on self-love. My goal for 2021 is working on more self-love, working on more on understanding myself, and working on more of my relationships with my family and with my trying to understand my feelings when it comes to the genetic side of the uh, the going, and I hope that 
you know what? Write a list. Write it in your phone. Write it on a piece of paper. All the things that you want accomplished. And I'm talking about a bucket list. Just a list. What are your passions? Is it art? Is it music? Is it dance? Because there is a way to make these things happen. And you got to work for it. And you got to want it. And you got to go for it. And I so heartily believe in all of you that you will go for it. You'll accomplish your dreams. You know. I'm going to tell you just in case that you never heard it from anybody else, but I'm proud of you. I am proud of you. Someone in this world is proud of you. I'm going to tell you, I am. I, I know that you're worthy because you are worthy. You are important. You matter in this world. You matter to me. You matter to a little family we have going on here. Trust and believe that. Sometimes it takes a while. But if you're really feeling in that place, please, please get help. No one deserves to suffer. No one deserves to go through things. And there are ways to get help. That I know can be scary. But please don't be afraid to reach out and get help. Help is there. It's always there. Because sometimes I do worry about you guys. And I just want you guys to be in a safe space. In a safe place. And if you're not, I hope you get to a safe space. In a safe place. I hope that the rest of this year you can get to a police or you can take the lid off and not worry and not be scared and just take in the new year new year new all of us what are we going to do with our 2021 what is the plan I'm thinking about all the things want to do in 2021 now whether or not they'll accomplish that's a whole other thing but doesn't mean i'm not gonna plan like the dickens for it yes i know my health will inevitably form throw me curveballs and stuff but i just take that curveball i'm like all right then i guess that's what we're doing and i just go with i have to just go with the flow I'm like, oh, I guess that's what we're doing. I guess that's what life says we're doing today. So I'm just going to go with it. And sometimes I don't want to go with it. So I'm like, you know what? No, I've done this too many times. And I know what works for me. And I'm just going to do it. And sometimes that's what you do. Just go and do it. Go and do what you got to do for you. Because your happiness. You deserve to be happy. You deserve to know happiness. To give happiness, you deserve to know love, to receive love. That's my favorite thing about this holiday is that it's not about the presents. It's not about whatever it is. It's about giving and receiving, not just in presents, but in love and in friendship. And sort of this like reinvigoration of our spirits that have dumbly been drained and 
through it and giving us that extra level boost that we need for next year. It's like recharging the batteries. Um, I don't know. I can feel this time of year that just the level of hope and optimism and peace is higher. I just feel it. I feel more happier. I feel more excited. I feel more hopeful. Um, I, I can feel when we're starting this every part of this year is our do-over. It's when we have a whole blank slate next year to get to do and hopefully do what we didn't get to do this year. And um, I hope that and wish and pray that they have a COVID vaccine out by January 2021. And that while life might not completely go back to the way it was pre-COVID, that we can get as close as we can, but, but keep in mind what we just went through so that we don't go through it again. Because ain't nobody got time for that. Nobody has the emotional anything to deal with this. So, again, and it's going to be a big year in the U.S. for months away from the inauguration of a new president. And then we have the Olympics. And, you know, it is true this year. The older you get, the wiser you get. I believe that. Um, yeah. Now, whether or not everything goes to plan, that's to deal with down the road. That's the other thing. It's just deal with what you got to deal with today. Worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. Worry about whatever, something that's happened in six months, six months from now. Worry about it then. You just, you just deal with today. You just take one day at a time. Tomorrow's problems will be tomorrow's problems, but right now, it's today. So, my end is here. And I'm going to tell you to leave a voice memo if you want to. Um, if not, I'm looking for other ways uh, for you guys to leave comments, but it is harder than it looks, but I am not giving up on this. So, um, I'm going to figure it out for you guys. I will. I promise. So, um, if I don't talk again before the holidays, again, for, well, for me, Christmas, then I hope that all of you have a very happy holidays and that you get everything you desire in your heart this holidays and that you get a Christy, that you all get a holiday miracle. Oh, yeah, we all need, need a miracle. And um, if any of y'all live where there's snow, Make me a snow angel or a snowman or a snowball because I don't live where it snows. So, you can do me that one favor. Um, and those of you that live up there where it gets freezing and ponds freeze over and lakes freeze over and cars freeze over and snows everywhere, enjoy playing in the snow and, you know, all that stuff. And, uh, I would definitely like to know once we get to sort of calm it, 
commenting going on. How do you guys live like that? How do you deal with that? I would like to know how you deal with with snow and below freezing temperatures and that kind of thing. Cause I was just wondering. I've been up there on vacation, but I wasn't there very long. But man, the constantly being freezing the second you step outside. It's like you have five seconds before you're hypothermic. I mean, um, it's crazy. So I just want to know for those of you who's grown up in the snow and live with the snow, doing the shoveling in it, you know, or those of you that ski or snowboard or ice ski, like those cold winter activities. I mean, what is the funnest one? that you guys enjoy doing, or is there one that I've never heard of that is a winter activity? Um, I've heard of something called snow ice cream, so that sounded really interesting. And, I don't know, let me know, let me know about some winter activities that I may not have never heard of, and, or maybe some food that's only really prepared in winter time, or something, or some of your traditions around this time of year, if you have any. Um, I really like to know that. I kind of want to know how my, uh, friends up north do it. If what you're doing this time of year, if you're shoveling driveways, if you're having to layer up five parkas just to go outside, you know, is that just a norm? Is it just a normal norm to scrape ice off of your windshield and put chains on your tires and let the car run and heat up for a while? Because... We get a cold front here, and I'm the biggest complainer. Oh, my goodness. So, um, but then summer comes, and then I'm like, I would kill for a cold front. Never went, but, um, you can tell me that. I will tell you some things maybe you did not know about Florida, so let me know if you're interested. Um. I look forward to comments. If I figure out something, it will be in the description. And I look forward to talking to you soon. Stay safe. Stay positive. Good vibes and good prayers and good intentions all of your way. Okay. Love you guys. Love you guys. Bye. Hi, friends. I've been inspired to get on with you tonight. I was... <laughs> Having an energy burst, possibly because I was eating a cinnamon roll and um, a cinnamon roll. I um, was kind of sitting around the house listening to Christmas music and just feeling the spirit and the holiday spirit and the other spirit. Um, if you're Christian, you know what it means. And I was thinking about this song by the artist Murray Digby called Miss Invisible. And I, the first time I saw the title of the song, I don't know what it was, but I was just like, I have to listen to this song. And this song, like, I'm not getting, I'm getting emotional about it, but, like, I felt like it spoke everything that I felt growing up in school and sometimes in life. Um, and I was like, oh my God, like she reached in my heart and pulled out 
my emotions and then put it in this beautiful song. So, um, if any of you know her, like, tell her thank you for writing that song because it made me feel not, not so alone in the world and that I'm not the only person who feels like Miss Invisible. Uh, sometimes I think we all do. Um, I think especially with chronic illness, even though we have all the medical attention kind of going on, it becomes so much the focus of your life that you as a person sort of fall into the back ways, so back burner. And I was thinking about um, how not good that feels. And um, I was thinking about hearing about representation a little bit. And I think a lot of groups are underrepresented, for sure. Or there are actors who are much better equipped to play them, those parts. But what I haven't seen is a character for a TV show or a movie that deals with, I mean, chronic illness and like really shows how they deal with chronic illness. I mean, I want to see a character I can relate to that is lugging in 20 pounds of formula that just got delivered to her house that's flushing her tube, that's trying to unclog her tube, that's going in to have her tube swapped, that's like walking around with the feeding tube backpack on because she's on continuous feeds or um, how her room looks kind of half like the hospital room because of the amount of medical supplies. Well, it used to be like one box of band-aids back in the day and now it is three bins of, actually two bins because one bin is my art supplies of medical stuff and that doesn't even count what's on like the other side. And it's like everywhere you look, there's something medical. And I was thinking about, okay, you know, we have these medical shows and they're not exactly accurate. But if they ever make a show and they want to write a real, let's say, character, a character that deals with chronic illness, whatever it is may be, I implore, I approach for the network to not just go based on stereotypes and then reach out to the community and we will give you the realest of real depictions of life this um a chronic illness because i don't think i've ever, ever seen one and it might take a while because people are like you know they depicted somebody like this but it was wrong and the thing is and what i've noticed they Hollywood kind of makes a lot of mistakes before they figure out, oh, gee, you really screwed this up. We should, we should probably make an attempt to do this right. And it's not all the way right, but eh, they try. Um, I'd like to see it in books. Like, I've tried to think of a million ways I could write a character that deals with chronic illness and has this adventure and so I thought about just I don't know making a 
a separate podcast to where I just tell you the story off the top of my mind. Um, and I kind of decide that based on, I guess, the response that I get on this podcast. But um, other things that I've noticed is that the holidays are time of my year. My favorite time of the year for me. For some people it's not, but for me it is. And I get very joyous. I feel like my energy and my spirit is renewed. And I am ready to take on whatever comes. But I know at times that I'm drained emotionally and physically and mentally. And I feel like not only am I battling my body, but I'm battling my brain. And the whole subconscious thing. And I'm just sitting here... Like, you ever have a thought, and you're like, why? And you kind of entertain the thought. You don't ever act on a thought or anything, but you just kind of entertain it. But you're like, why? Why this thought? Why now? And you know, if you, like, play it out exactly how it's going to end, so why did we get the thought in the first place? And it makes you realize, like, how complicated our brains are, how complicated our thought processes are, and how overwhelming our thoughts can get uh, especially when you're somebody with like generalized anxiety disorder you know I think somebody that just is juggling a million plates can get juggling a million chronic illnesses or juggling a job and kids and being a parent you know brains they get overloaded that is for sure brain burnout it is a thing and um I started my first semester, and I thought I for sure I was going to be feeling the brain burnout by the end of my first semester. And surprisingly, after dropping one class, I was excited to be done. I was feeling it a little bit writing my paper, but I realized, you know, it comes with the major that I picked, English. And then I just I started entertaining the idea of a minor. So a little backstory, because it's going to sound crazy. You're going to go, you're doing what? Um, once I tell you what I'm thinking, but uh, I got my big AA in general studies. And then I went right and hopped right straight into trying to get my bachelor's degree. Well, that's when all the chronic health issues started happening. And everything just got totally destroyed in just the train derailed it was just not happening and for those years I'd say between 2000 and the end of 2010 to 2012 was just like nothing but trying to figure out what was wrong with me and looking for answers and trying to figure that out and school and not have like a concrete treatment plan or plan of action was like, nope, this is not happening. And so I just took time from school. And my GPA was just in the tank. And I was like, you know what? I have to walk away. I have to walk away because I cannot juggle my health where it is and do good in school. I was like, mm. you kind of have to know your limits. And you have to know when to stop. And mine was going I don't know what's going on with me and that's scary I'm already stressed up and about school and that was scary and I was like you know what mm, 
Let me just focus on one thing at a time. And that is the priority is that I need to be okay first. I need to get my health in order. I need to get my mental health in order. I need to get my stuff together first before I go back and come to finish my bachelor's degree. And so, and it was a while. And I realized my GPA was low to the point where I couldn't get anywhere. So I said, okay, I'm going to have to take classes to raise my GPA up. What's something I'm interested in? Well, I've always been interested in teaching early childhood. And so I started an early childhood program at Logan College for rich privacy reasons. And because I don't need food, I will not mention. But let's just say that was a disaster. And I kind of knew at this one particular point, uh, if I ever get where I feel like it's safe to tell those stories, but at this one particular point where I just knew this was not the place for me, and I had that same feeling when I was away at college at this particular college, and when I came down to needing help, I was going to any and every person I knew on staff for help. And I was basically turned away. And I just said, you know what? No. I have to go home and I have to reprioritize and figure it out, you know? And so then I found the school that I graduated from. Yes, I got a second associate's degree. It is an associate in science degree. The first one is an associate in arts degree. Well, I call it general studies, but it's also English literature. And the second one is an early childhood education. And I was so committed to this degree. I mean, I just found it so fascinating. It was small class sizes. This was before COVID and everything happened. And I kind of got to dip my toes in the water as far as teaching. I went um, as far as getting my substitute like certification and... I learned a lot. Like, I thought I knew about kids. I did not know about kids. And I think if you're a parent, if you babysit, um, if you're going into the childcare world, take some early childhood classes. I'm telling you, the knowledge they're going to drop on you, you're going to be like, huh. It is, I mean, it is the biggest wake-up call. And it. I went back to... At that point, I was doing that. I was working at a daycare. And then things started unraveling a little bit because I started to get sick a lot. And it was where I worked was the reason. And I was going through some sick emotion. And taking that off the plate gave my immune system a time to bounce back. And I kind of realized the first place was way better in terms of keeping things clean the second place not so much but uh but it was because it was that lack thereof sickness just ran rampant in this place and they would just give it to the teachers the teachers would come sick because they're it was extremely shorthanded and i was kind of like a little gopher. I assisted where I was needed. I pretty much closed all the time, even if I was supposed to leave at a certain time. I was always working past that time. And 
if they asked me for it, it was like, of course, I'll help you out because my belief in like good work ethic and being able to, you know, you know, working well with your employees is that I knew that there are people that have been there before me. So in my mind, seniority, you get to go home first. I know that you have kids and parent, you have kids that, that you need to take care of or you need to do this. Don't worry. I will cover you. Um, I'm, I'm that type of person. I have your back because I think like, I don't know, employees, when you're working together, you're a team. And especially if you know that you, one of your fellow employees is a parent, you know, I knew that I was single. I was in a college. I didn't really have anywhere to be. So, of course, I didn't mind. I did not mind coming from them. Go take care of your child. Go do, take care of what you need to take care of. And I started realizing and formulating my own opinions about the daycare industry, we shall say. And noticing something. And... And I'm going to have to get a lot of views on this if you want some more details. But noticing that, yes, the safety and the child is the most pinnacle priority, number one important of it. But we can't, um, and I will say this as a former daycare worker, can't make the child priority number one and be the best we can be if we're not at our best to begin with if we are constantly on the burnout and if our, we're constantly sick and constantly having to take off and it doesn't help if you get penalized even if you have a doctor some things about the world that i kind of learned and realized you know from seeing how a business should be run to how a business should not be run and, you know, me trying to be as understanding as possible because, look, um, I want all the babies that are under my care to be well taken care of because I know that mom and dad are going to come pick them up and I want them to look exactly the way that they are when they drop them off. And I want them to feel that they can trust me with their child. I want the child to feel that they can trust me. And I could see, like, in my own mind that there are things where I can see where there would be trust issues. I could see where there would be serious question marks. But I was sort of put in this position of, you can't say anything. And I wish that I had said something because because of the time I was working. And so they made it kind of clear that if I said something... We could get in trouble and so on and so forth. And I was basically wanting me to protect them. And I just was like, no. Because the babies to me, the kids, they were number one above all else. I really, in my mind, they come before anything else. But I was like, they have to be safe. They have to be taken care of. They have to be healthy. I mean, you know. I wanted to be happy and having a good time and to be kids and to grow and develop and there are places I think that are really well made 
for them to be able to go there and do that. And then there's places that just don't have it together and they can't. It's just, oh, for lack of a word, it is an S show. And um, it made me realize what a scrambling business looks like. What a business that is just flying by the seat of their pants is just flailing. That is like on the cusp of just failing outright. And kind of realizing it has a lot to do with the people who are supposed to make sure that are above you, your bosses, your, um, under you, you know, that are supposed to oversee us that the company runs smoothly. And if they're not doing their job, it's going to be really hard for the people who are supposed to do our job. And, um, I was at that point ready to quit and I had the hardest time with it because I loved those kids to death and I'll tell you that. I just, I instantly just bonded with them and I want nothing but the best for them and I didn't want to quit because I didn't want to leave them. I didn't want to leave them in what I knew I was leaving them in and um, I've like prayed every day that someone's eyes were opened and change happened because it has to happen because the things that happen can't happen it can't it, it's going to end badly um that being said i got my early childhood degree and learned that everything that i had seen and worked in this place was wrong it was so wrong on so many levels and it just had my intuition that it was right and I got to learn from a woman who has a doctorate in early childhood education, so she knows. And it just, like, inspired me. It made me begin to be like, if this is this bad, and we, then if this is this bad, and this is just one daycare, one child care facility, how bad really is it? Like if we really went to like every daycare in the county or every childcare facility, I mean, how bad? How bad is it? And um, wondering myself, now the one place where I saw all these things that I was taught implemented was at a place where they literally focus on nothing but basically pre-K. Um, Basically, it's four-year-olds, and they, that, that's all it is. That's all they focus on is that, and getting getting them ready to, um, it, BBK, there you go, um, getting them ready to go into kindergarten. And I had really eye-opening and life-changing experiences there from meeting educators who were actually passionate about what they do, and seeing how they deal with stuff on a daily basis to being in an actual kindergarten and seeing how a child, you know, at that age with plans in place, um, how things are handled. And my kind of book, I felt like 
was easier to do that particular thing than to try to do something to make it an easier learning environment for the child. That's just me. I don't like to think to see that a child is missing out. I don't know what they're learning or absorbing by the way they have it set up. I mean, yes, in their mind that worked. To me, they could do better. Um, that's just me. For every child out there, I feel like we can always be doing better. We can always be being improved upon. Because um, every single child that comes to the classroom that comes for an education deserves the best that we can possibly give them despite the lack of resources or the lack of teacher, you know, they deserve our best. And yeah, I've seen that kids, and I know, kids can push your buttons and kids have attitudes. And sometimes maybe it's that they come from home and they're not used to, to getting, they're not used to discipline. They're not used to hearing the word no, or you can't have that. And they learn that in the classroom. So we're in the classroom and I've seen that. I've seen that sometimes I've seen that there's rules and I know that there's rules as to what you can and cannot do when it comes to a child. And if they're in the, at least where I was, if the child is in danger of hurting themselves or others by whatever they're doing, you can interact in other ways. But most of the time, the recommended way to deal with it is to redirect them, which is hard. It's, it was even complicated for me to wrap my mind around because in my mind, learning this, the child is just going to understand what they know that they did wrong. It's very short. So you're limited to how much time you really can actually talk about it. And in my mind, I feel like my best way is I want to get on their eye level and I want to talk about what they did wrong and why it's wrong. You know, there's my mind sitting them in a corner, you know, taking them away from the activity. I don't know that it necessarily... Um, I don't know that it benefits them. And I remember this little boy, and I'll never forget him. And I have a journal, and I, I just kept it in there because I knew he was smart. And I knew from the way that he played that he had a lot to say. But when it came time for classroom work, he could get a little bit talk backish, and he could get. He was a sweet kid, and like you could see it in his eyes. So he was not a bad kid by any any stretch of his imagination. Actually, he had a quite a wild imagination. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to do something I don't think a lot of teachers take time to do. If they have the time to do it, is sit down at the table and just talk to these kids and talk about what they, you know, while we're going through the activity, I try to apply it to things that I know that they like. So, like, popular shows, like Paw Patrol or bubble guppies or whatever it is that they're liking these days and I would try to take that and apply it and then they would get excited about what they were doing 
you know, if we were doing like an art project, it would be my time to sort of get to know them and who they are and what they're like. And I had discovered that he just had this huge passion for the thing that was for Ninja Turtles. And you know what? I grew up when the original Ninja Turtles were out, so I, I knew. And I just want him to tell me about it. And he was just so excited to tell me all about it. And I was like, at that moment, I may not have had anything to do, but I got him to open up and engage with me as a teacher. I know that I do care about what he cares about. And I find it just as important and fascinating and interesting too. And I expect to know that if I care, I feel like him realizing I really do care um, makes him more willing to engage with me because he knows that I care about him. I care about what matters to him. Sometimes teachers are like, put your toys away and da da I don't want to hear about your Barbie thing. And you can see like the disappointment. And in my mind, I'm like, no, I want to hear about it because obviously it really means a lot to you. And I figure out a way to just get some talking, get some working on the vocabulary. I figure out a way to incorporate that. And I realized, um, going back into my bachelor's degree, so in the reason I finished it, the associate's degree. Um, but I realized as like, much as I loved being able to engage, I wanted to teach in my own way. My body, with all of the chronic illness, I felt like I would not be able to give to them the teacher that they would deserve. Um, and I decided that physically being in the classroom wasn't that wasn't for me. It was that my body couldn't handle it. And I was like, I want to be able to still be a part of the classroom. So I embarked on a project that I am still working on, which I'm writing about a series of books that I'm trying be as inclusive as humanly possible with them and my dream and my hope is that once it is finished I can incorporate it into a curriculum in the classroom and um, maybe go in and do some like reading in the library but I feel like there's other ways of reaching students and helping them with their education and helping them feel and know that they're important and that matters because I've seen it nothing is like seeing a child's eyes light up with excitement like I almost cried because I was like I got through to him like this is the real him he just needed somebody to show him that that they did care and they weren't interested and the biggest smile on his face and I will, I will never forget that little boy I will never forget it like for as long as I live I will never forget him and I thank him so much for showing me that because he taught me that part of being a good teacher is being interested in what your students are interested in because if you make them feel like they're important, it hits, I think it hits their self-esteem. I think it makes them feel 
like you don't care and there has to be a way to show them that because it's the way that you intonate the way that it emotionally comes across it can sound like I don't really care about your dinosaur or your truck or your fairy or whatever show the interest show the care I love that because it matters more than you think it does and so that actually may take a little extra time but I mean if it means that you get more interaction out of your students and I feel like because of that I earn a little bit more respect because I respected him think respect your students respect what they're interested in you know my goal was to, to talk to them and to treat them as little people I don't want them to think that I'm one who's them any different because they're simply four years old or five years old or whatever the case may be I will give you a story where it made no sense to me where you know that at the age of two kids are they are interested in everything they're right about the age where their mind is just taken up a million miles an hour and they want to know and add sponge that I call them extremely interactive I thought like the best way that they learned is the more hands-on and interactive we could be with the activity the better they did and I realized we had this um, boxes for for uh, sensory it's like sand and water play and I don't mind making a mess because to me half the fun of having fun if you're making an activity is there's a mess involved there is no doing activity with the kids and not having a mess I'm sorry I hate to break your hearts but it's the truth and I was like why do we never do this and so one day I did it and oh my goodness they had so much fun because I just want to focus on sensory that day um, and I was like I'm pulling stuff out that they just look at and they want to do and they're constantly told no I'm like today we're doing it I mean it got them talking and I prepared myself I put trash bags onto the table I take trash bags to the top of the table I was willing ready to stay late and clean up I didn't mind at all because um, I'm like look they're having fun they're learning they're getting sensory um, learning and and it allowed me also to work on sharing with them because there's not a whole lot of duplicate toys and that is the thing I recommend because I have more than my kid and her right is on the same age buy two of the same toy I'll make your life easier but other and I'm like and yes by the end of the day there was sand everywhere but we had fun and they learned and I was like they're not this this, this isn't elementary school this is this is the time when sensory play comes into play this is where um, pretend play comes in this is the time when all of that 
he's so important. And I was like, to deny them that because you don't want to deal with a mess? That sounds like a personal problem. So I was like, I don't mind. And like, you have a lot of mess to clean up. I'm like, I know, I'm fully aware. And I did, as soon as we were done, I put as much sand back in as I could. I put the lids on, I carried everything back. I cleaned everything up. I came back with the vacuum. I vacuumed up after all the kids were gone for the day. I moved everything around. I vacuumed everything up and we were back clean and golden. And it's just like, fine. I get up and dance with them when they had music because I noticed they really responded to music and I thought there wasn't enough of it. I know they get too crazy, they get too crazy. No. Crazy is because they have like 30 minutes of outside time and they are busting full of energy. They come in the door having had breakfast, busting full of energy, right? And then they have some time and you know the focus is not happening yet at that age. So I like, because to me, letting their natural Legos is good STEM. It's good STEM. It's science, technology, engineering, and mechanics, I believe it is. So for me, I like seeing them building and helping each other build. Now, yes, there's fighting. Two-year-olds always fight. and pull. It is a thing. I have learned with that. But I'm like, we don't follow the curriculum anyway. I'm like, this way they're getting from STEM over here. They're getting sensory over here. And then if they get to paint and make something for Mother's Day or Father's Day or whatever holiday was coming up, then we get even more in. And I was like, just because it doesn't look like they might be learning, trust me, they're learning. Their brains are absorbing everything. They hear everything. It is natural. Know, to rebel and push back it, it comes with the territory and you're going into education thinking that you sit you're in for a rude awakening because that's that's what they do they're kids and they're just being kids and it's like you expect them to not be kids to not be two years old to not act at their age they're going to act at their age People that are in daycare who think that you can keep them perfect and organized, just forget about it because it doesn't happen. The only time that it's clean and organized is at the end of the day when everybody's gone home, then you can clean and organize them back. Yes, learning to collect your toys back and all that good stuff is important, but to me, making sure that they're learning there is some degree of fun involved and that they're allowed to be kids. I feel like when you restrict their ability to be kids and be two years old, they just rebel more and they just look for other ways to be a two year old. Um, second thing, parents, especially in light of a situation, if you, and I know sometimes daycare is the only thing you have, you don't have anybody else, can't watch your child. But if your child tests positive for the flu, if they have a fever, if you can look in their eyes and you know they don't feel good, do not send them to school, to daycare. Just don't. Because what happens is 
it spreads like wildfire. Especially when you take care of it's babies whose immune systems are really, really, really low. Because nine times out of ten, you're going to send your kid there. We're going to know they're sick, take their temperature, and then you're going to get a phone call to come pick them up. So, save yourself some gas and keep them home. Find a neighbor who's willing to take care of them. Figure something out. Because um, it's not fair that their immune systems are already down. And then you're going to go expose them to whatever is floating around daycare at the moment. So... Um, there was that, um, that's a whole tangent, but for the most part, I met a lot of parents and there's all different types of parents and you all have ones that are very specific about what they want for their child, like to the inch and they will get very mad if it is not followed to the specific inch. Don't take it personally. You're doing the best that you can with 30 with with what 12 babies in a room or eight babies in a room or 18 two-year-olds so yeah let them be whatever yes they might go you know that you did the best that you could so all you can do is the best that you can do to take care of them the best possible way and make sure that at the end of the day they're cleaned up and ready to go home with mom and dad um ready to go home with their parents and just let it roll off your back like water. Other thing is, if you're working in a place and you have somebody that has taken a particular disliking to you for no apparent reason, or if there's something in the workplace and it affects your health, I do want you to know, especially with chronic illness, you have rights among the ADA, which is the Americans with Disabilities Act, and you have literally the right to go to your boss and they fulfill out a form and they can get you accommodations. So, but don't feel like you have to walk around eggshells around a coworker that treats you meanly or you know that she's known, he or she is known to like snap at people and just get really grumpy and um, has, her specific, has their specific way of doing something and then you come in there and you com com completely disagree with how they do it. Okay, respect that they have their way, but, you know, they also need to respect that you have your way. And, yes, yeah, so they might be running the room, but if they come and ask for help and you come in there, you know, there should be a little bit of come in there and you give them that help. The way to respond to that is not by being rude or disrespectful or telling them that they're wrong or belittling them or putting them down. If you're having a coworker that does that to you or you experience this, to me, this is bullying. To me, if your coworker can put you in tears, that is a problem. And I am not above speaking to the boss because no one deserves to go to work knowing that they have to deal with a co-worker that just doesn't know the meaning of the word respect and to be nice and stand up for yourself. It is okay to stand up for yourself. You have to be happy with you. 
does not matter what other people think. Eventually, they figure out they can't just push people around and treat people like they treat them and not expect something to happen. So, stand up for yourself. Talk to your boss. It is not the end of the world. And if you're like that miserable, you know what? Find you a good job so you have one foot out the door. And when you're ready to, quit. And go somewhere where you're happier. But no sense being miserable. Okay? That's no sense being miserable. Now, as far as I am right now, I'm back working on my bachelor's degree. And I have this new approach, new look at it. Um, and that is after having two associate's degrees and this bachelor's degree I've been working on and hemming at and chipping at forever, that I kind of found out that I needed all these electives. And I was like, well, some of these minors require like five classes to get the minor. And I was feeling inspired because I was like, at first, the thought of adding a major and a minor together, I was like, no way. But now I'm at this place where I kind of understand. Um, I've come to really understand my limits as a student and how much like accommodations and disability services has changed at my university. And I do my schooling completely virtually, so I can like work on my own time. And I have really taken advantage of all the resources that I can. And I encourage you to do that too. If you're a college student, there are a bountiful resources there to help you succeed. And I know that can be nervous to do it, but I encourage you to take advantage of them. Get every resource you need to help you because they are there. And if you ever feel you're mistreated by a professor, if you feel like something is wrong with your grades. Again, I'm not afraid to speak up about that. I don't, I am the person that I don't back down easily. And I will try to talk to my professors. If there's an issue, I try to talk it out with my professors. And if after talking to them, I still get nowhere, then I'll go to my DRC. Basically, she's like amazing. And she's, like my backup. She's like my advocate. And we go and see what there is that I can do. And I know when you're in a major, your major is within a school. And there's somebody that is always above somebody else. And I don't generally do the I'm going above somebody else thing unless I know that I've done everything with this professor. And nothing. This professor is just not budging. So... In this case, I had issues which led to me deciding that this professor was just not going to be disability friendly, and I knew that was in the best interest for me was to drop the class, and I felt so much relief. I was able to focus on a class that I knew I was going to do good in, and I have advocates that are awesome, so I am enrolled for the next semester, and I am seriously contemplating adding a minor and you're going to what minor why you must be crazy 
I'm thinking of adding one of three virtual minors to art, which is, there's a ton of them, but religious studies, uh, psychology, and there was one that was like about social media and like editing, um, but I feel pulled toward religious studies, but I will update you in the future on that, but I just felt like my heart was pulling me towards this, and I feel like I'm at a place now where I could do it. And um, if I have to have the electives anyway, um, so I'm excited. I'm excited to see what I can do with it and uh, the paths that I can pursue. Um, um, I'm getting really long in my time here, so I'm going to wrap it up. But I wanted to get on to just share this like inspiration that I had about a song that sort of led me into the topic for today. But I want to let you know that no matter if you're able-bodied, if you're chronic illness, if whatever, you, you, you can do anything and you can achieve anything. There's always a way. My mind, it's just I'll learn to adapt. That is my thing. Well, if I can't do it this way, then I'm going to figure out how to do it another way. And um, I'll learn that I learned to use my stubbornness when it's necessary. And I've learned for future jobs exactly what I'm looking for and looking for in a job and what I deserve and what I will not take. And um, not being able to speak up for, not being afraid to speak up for what I know is right and to advocate on my behalf. And I've learned that because of being a patient in the hospital all the time, I'm not afraid to advocate for myself. I am not afraid to speak up for myself. If I know something is wrong, I will do what I need to do to make it right. Because I will get frustrated, I will get angry at the situation, and I, the only thing in me is that I have to fight this. I can't just keep on trekking like nothing happened. I have to fight it. It is just something in me where I'm like, always paying attention, always be paying attention. Are you being treated appropriately? Did you give consent? Um, I'm going to do a whole another podcast on consent. It's another subject, but consent, how are you being treated? And you best believe, and I will, you know, I think that there are nurses that are amazing and doctors that are amazing. And then I think that there are people that aren't that if there's a course on bedside manner they like need to go back that could be like a continuing education needed or something but you know at the same time I kind of think you know I don't know what they're going through I imagine it is hell hellish dealing with COVID and being on the front lines and sometimes with a cop and you're not sure why they're copying and you hope you're not copying for for obvious, you hope that cough has nothing to do with what we're currently dealing with, or working in a construction zone, I would have lost my mind, you know, I just, I try to think maybe there's something going on in their life, and that's why they're treating me like this, but at the same time, I'm not going to give them a pass, I try to give them the benefit of the doubt, but at the same time, if it really does cross the line, I am going to speak up, and I'm like, don't be afraid, 
don't be afraid to do it. You wouldn't be the first one person to speak up. You won't be the last person to speak up. And care doesn't get better. Care doesn't change. Things don't change unless people are willing to speak up about it. And let people know that that is a problem, that it is not acceptable, and that something has to be done. Um, I hope that all my beautiful, amazing listeners, beautiful, handsome, amazing listeners from all walks of life have a gorgeous and happy holidays and a happy new year. And I would really love to know, too, um, if you can ever get communications going. I'd love to know where some of y'all are from. And if you don't mind sharing what you celebrate, because I'm very interested in that kind of thing. So uh, I'm going to leave it at that. And I really hope that the rest of your 2020 is and fantastic. And uh, your 2021 is fantastic as well. So. Thank you, my friends, for tuning in and listening, and I will see you next time. So I wanted to do this really quick. Um, uh, this comes from having to do a mandatory uh, testing with my university. Well, not really like a test, but towards to see if you know what to do in certain situations. That being if somebody is being sexually assaulted, if they're being abused. What do you do? And like, what's your likely response? And it brought back memories of when an assault situation happened to me. Now, I was in elementary school and the kid was a little bit older than me. And this persisted, it felt like three months, it was actually a month. But he was bigger than me and he would knock me down and touch in places that you should never touch. I really don't care how old you are. And things, I had already had issues with being ostracized in the school previous to that. And this just sort of like pushed emotionally over the edge. And I remember in therapy them trying to get me to talk about it and I couldn't. And if you've ever been through this, you know that sometimes it's like there's a gag in your mouth and you can't talk about it. Your brain just physically won't let you. It's like it's trying to still protect you. Um, and then fast forward. I, I met somebody and this is when I sort of realized well, actually, I had a therapist have to tell me, you're not attracted to them. And I was just, okay, well, trying to be friends. But he wanted more than friends. And you might see this from garage and go, really? But went to movies, got in his car, was going home. Dark, dingy garage of a mall. And I was buckled in my seatbelt. He locked the car doors. I buckled his seatbelt and reached over and planted a really slobbery one on me. And I had nowhere to go. I felt trapped. And I was like, you know, all the ways you imagine having your first kiss or any kind of 
that, that wasn't that. I was scared. I was petrified out of my mind. You know, at the time I was like, are you supposed to like ask me, like, is he supposed to ask me if I wanted to kiss? Like, I'm like, I thought that was, um, at the time I was like, well, you just went for it kissed me. But it's like, but now after everything what's happened to me, I realize that this, that, um, in so doing that, I think in my mind, the right thing to do, yes, I understand the whole spontaneous moment thing, but when you're dealing with somebody who's, I think, never been kissed, uh, that getting consent to kiss them might be a really good idea. Um, I ended up dealing with my husband later on, not as friends anymore, because he just wouldn't leave me alone to, um, basically stalking, you know, if I was at my university, when I was on campus at the time, he was always there. If I was at the home of my best friend, he was always there. And my last straw, he happened to be on campus, and I got scared, really scared. And I saw a security guard, and I said, this, this guy, he's following me. And after that, never saw him again. And I had made this decision in the back of my mind. Keep in mind, I will just, for the person private but this person was in the military and I didn't want to do anything to jeopardize his military career but if he kept it up I knew when it came to jurisdiction in terms of if I had to go there I wasn't sure that there was much going to a regular police station would do so I felt that I would have no alternative but to go with the military in this thing. Um, so after sort of having to say that, he stopped. But then, you know, it was like a minor, a, I say a minor, a hokey version of, or four, of dealing with trying to be in a relationship with somebody that deals with very severe mental illness and it just it breaks my heart because he was my first love and a part of me I think will always love him but I did not know how to deal with his mental illness in fact he just didn't know how to and he inside in his heart because I knew him before he became this was a really good person and and in mine he still is thing is and I knew for my safety I have to stay far away and I'll always be that way because of his anger management issues because I never know with him if he is staying true to being in his medication and I'm been trying to like learn about this because a lot of the way you would describe things to me didn't make sense for what his diagnosis was 
um, but it's not my place to share that. But it would get phone calls all night long, you know, telling me about things, you know, auditory and visual hallucinations, you know, I got posted by him and I was in shock, but I said no. And I cut it off because I couldn't take it. I was just getting sucked into this vortex and I didn't know what else to do. And I felt so bad and I felt like he was going to get mad at me for doing what I did. But for my own like sanity, I had to like get out of a bad situation. And that's not to say he's not a bad person. He's just very unlucky in the mental health department. And I, I do worry about him, but, um, and I just always hope and pray that he will get okay. He will get control of these demons that have just wreaked havoc on his life. Um, um, if you know somebody like that, you know, I'd be interested to know if somebody else has been in the same scenario where you, you don't know how to be in their lives. You don't know what to say because you don't know if you're talking to them or if you're talking to the, the mental illness and it can get really confusing and painful. It's like my heart broke, like first real heartbreak. And years later, my I wanted to know he's okay for some reason. I just, I had to know that he was okay. And he had tried to reach out to me on YouTube when they had that mail thing. And he... At some point, we reached and I tried to talk to him, and it lasted approximately less than a day because he basically called me the B word and was going to be with me because, again, he proposed, and again, I said no. Um, but I, I was happy to hear he was doing a little bit better in the sense that he was on a better medication, and I was happy for him that at least something somewhat in mental health was working but that nasty side of it would come out and he would get angry at the flip of the switch and it's the type of anger that has literally physically hurt people and so I knew from my safety that it was best that I stay away from him and him me and I I cut off contact this time it wasn't as heartbreaking because this time I knew okay so I wanted to add this in really quick but um that's the subject that really got to me emotionally as I was seeing some mandatory requirements from a university uh, regarding sexual assault abuse these other things and made me realize that there's that they kind of miss all the other forms of it like they covered the most basic one that everyone's heard about but not so many of the ones that no one's heard about so and I wanted to share to know that sometimes you do get to a place where you're okay to share and I'm going to start with my first instance and you know, with, and I'm going to share not just experiences, but this is going to cover bullying, sexual assault. So if you're 
um, kind of abuse, emotional abuse. If you're triggered by that, this may not be the podcast to listen to. You might want to listen to some of the other ones. But um, the basically started with being transferred to a Christian school and just being ostracized and left out because the school started at grade like kindergarten and went to grade 12 and I didn't start there I didn't grow up in that school so uh I was the new girl and I tried my best to fit in but because I wasn't whatever you know it didn't work and I tried and I didn't last very long before I got transferred to another school and I got met by the mean girls who played tennis and um, I remember liking reading class up until the point where the assault part started happening. And I asked my therapist about this. I said, but just because we were kids, does it still make that? And she goes, yes, it does. So it started with him basically tickle torturing me. And he would knock me down and tickle me. And... It, he, he was so heavy, I couldn't push him off. I, I've been doing gymnastics and stuff, so you'd think I could push him off, but I couldn't. And we would all come into class before the teacher got there. So um, trying to get other kids to say, yeah, he did this, uh, there'd be no stitches. There'd be no snitches in that class, that is for sure. And it escalated to him sticking his hand in my uniform shirt and feeling up what boobs I did have then. And then going lower and sticking his hand in my underwear and feeling up my little prepubescent bits. And I finally just bit. And I feel like it was my daily torture. I would wake up every single day and I would have a panic attack before school. My stomach would hurt so bad. And then I would have a cry session in the bathroom. And eventually I'd have to go to reading class. And this wasn't happening with students. It was teachers. So somewhere along that way. Uh, I was taking a computer class. And this is like when they had all that. When you're like a kid. And they have all the, the controls on it. The parental controls. So that you don't accidentally end up somewhere you're not supposed to be. And you were given a very specific website to type on your computer, and if you typed it wrong, you were in trouble. Or if you tried to do something you weren't supposed to. So I misspelled this website by one letter, and the teacher went off on me. She goes, I don't care where you go. I don't care what you do, but you get the hell out of my class. And I was so upset. And I just, she said, go, get out. And, um... I was just running. I, there was nobody there. Nobody cared that there was a kid wandering around school. Me. And I happened to hop on uh, this new playground that they had just built. And I see pictures of this playground. Um, and immediately, just initially brings me back to that moment. But um, uh, the outside of this playground, this kid was climbing up it. And there was no teachers watching. And he fell backwards off of it. And he landed, half of his body landed on the mulch, 
but his head and everything else landed on the hard concrete walkway and blood everywhere unconscious not moving uh, at that point we knew that they ended up just sort of shoving me into the nearest classroom and they had to helicopter him like stabilize him and helicopter him somewhere and I think we heard an announcement somewhere that he was he hurt his had some pretty bad damage to his head um, and I never after that really found out what happened to him if he was ever okay if he ever recovered from his injuries I uh, wasn't sure the extent of the injuries but I mean you fall that far straight head first onto concrete I'm guessing that there's pretty significant injuries going on and it was like the teachers just didn't care and then when I finally had the gut courage to found the courage to speak up about what was happening and she said to me I can't really handle that you're gonna have to take it out to the principal so I go to the principal's office like the principal's not here you're gonna have to go to the vice principal so I go and talk to her and she says that's a really serious accusation you're gonna have to uh, we're gonna have to go to your classroom and talk to the students there and she announces in front of everybody um, student she says that this happened to her can anybody vouch for her she goes I can't do anything to that student unless somebody vouches for you and not a single one of those 18 to 20 something kids in that class stuck up a hand and vouched for me and at the time I had one friend there that was a good friend and the only person I felt like I could trust in that whole school and things sort of went hazy because I don't remember much after that until I started a new school and then there was another queen bee that to deal with but there I met my best friend and I she's been my best friend since then um, and things slowly started to turn around but after that I lost touch with my really good friend that I met at the school before and sort of life went on I kind of really fell into my dance classes piano lessons girls that's all of that and I didn't want to leave where I finally felt accepted and comfortable but I went to high school and I just sort of shut down I really didn't try to make friends I always had a hard time making friends and I was in a class for kids with learning disabilities and um, we I was you know always wanting to do good I was terrified of getting detention but leaving that one school my panic attacks like where I would get physical stomach aches and I would be shaking they went away and I knew it was because of the trauma that I, I didn't know at the time now but I knew now that it was happening to me because of the trauma and the pain that I was experiencing every day and mom goes one day she goes why don't you say anything I was like I didn't know how to say it it was like I couldn't physically speak it was like it's hard to explain but if you've ever been through anything like that then you know it's like you couldn't if you tried and from there 
college sort of happened and I kind of started this long distance relationship with somebody and it was this somebody that was my really good friend at the horrible school from the depths of you know where and he had told me that it was horrible for him too and we'd always really liked each other and I would just talk to him a lot and then things sort of started to change and the more that he got comfortable with me the more he opened up with me the more it became he, he confided to me about his diagnosis and why he ended up in that uh, forsaken school in the first place but um, and so I known of that mental illness but I was like okay as long as he takes his medication we should be good but turned out wasn't taking it and if he did take it he mixed it with alcohol it just it wasn't good and then he started to tell me all the things that had happened between his parents between him and law enforcement and so and then about hallucinations and voices and I was starting to see the type of like thing hear the type of thing that you only see depicted on like an episode of Criminal Minds on TV and I will tell you that I got a shiver up my spine when he told me I have a knife and I have a gun and that freaked me out because knowing where he was was in no place to have possession of those and number one he wasn't contacting me and I knew because he had tried before in the past like his life that I freaked out I was worried about him and I actually had the police do a welfare check um, on him and I remember talking to his dad and his dad's like he does this blah, blah, blah. and um, realizing he was like just really in a bad place but I was constantly trying to feel like I was wanting to be the dutiful girlfriend and fix it and I wanted, like, I loved him, and I wanted so much to make it work. So I was in this dark point of, like, that was, I was saying, no, 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 this isn't the real him. I know the real him. What I'm talking to you right now is his mental illness. And it swirled out of control. It was like, I felt, it, it I can compare it to, like, Alice, when she, like, falls into a, like, vortex, like that kind of thing. Um, it was all of a sudden I was sort of sucked into his delusions, his nightmares, his everything. Because he'd be calling me upset, crying. He'd be calling me upset, mad. And I'd be like the first phone call. And he would tell me, I trust you. You're the only one that cares about me. There'd be times where he'd want me to come and get him. And it would just be one thing after the other. And he would get and if certain things didn't happen he would get mad at me and make me feel bad about it and make me feel guilty about it and not afraid to call me really nasty names but I kept going it's not him it's the disease and I kept blaming it on that and then I finally told my parents about what was happening and they're like, you have to end it. And I, it was hard. My heart broke. I just remember crying so hard on my mom 
and like this weird feeling of coming out of this and not realizing how deep I was into it and this had come the pinnacle of that was a proposal and that I turned down and it was this long distance thing and like knowing it was over and instinct when somebody that you love very much is very very sick and you just feel like you've done everything and like you're treading water and you feel helpless and like you're treading water at the same time and like um, and I think it was just emotionally getting to the emotions that I didn't realize I was holding in um, and I cut off and then things got better life happened with chronic illness all that kind of stuff and all of a sudden one day I was like I hope he's doing okay because the last that we left off he was not in a good place I was not in a good place and I, I needed to know he was better. I needed to know that he still wasn't in the same spot. But I was afraid to reach out to him. But maybe it was like he picked up on it or something. Because he ended up reaching out to me through this YouTube announcement. And um, I tried. And his way is he only wanted to talk on the phone. And I wasn't about to give my phone number. And took a minute but I finally was able to get him to talk with me on Skype and um, in the chat and he told me that he loved me and he never stopped loving me and like I was the only person that he wanted to be with and that he still even though I turned down his proposal once he still wanted to marry me and I said no and his response was just to propose to me all over again. And I was just like, no, nope, nope. And I said, no. And he called me the B word. And then he started to get nasty. And he told me to, to F you. And to go F myself. And after that, I was just like, no. No. I was naive then. I was in love. And I refused to see what was right in front of me. And now I know, yes, he's on better medication but part of that I realized is still not all mental illness and I can't keep blaming mental illness for how he treats me and I knew as much as I loved him and that that part of me will always love him that there would be no way for there to be any kind of successful anything relationship marriage children with the way that he treated me with his mental illness compounded on top of that and I said I needed to have respect for myself and I ended it it was like a day and a half maybe a week and I thought it was better and then that side of him came out and I knew I knew and going to therapy and realized that not all of it was the mental illness. So some of that was actually the real him. And realized for my safety, for my mental sanity, not as much as I loved him, in this case, love wasn't enough. And I don't wish any ill will on him. In fact, I wish the exact opposite. I wish, I wish for him to get better and find a happy place. And um, 
I wish for him to finally conquer his demons and conquer his mental illness and finally be in a stable, happy place. Like, do I think that we could ever have a relationship? No. Because I've seen him when he's at his worst. I've seen him when he's partially stable. But he can still get nasty at the drop of a heartbeat. And he can still get emotionally abusive. And nasty and verbally abusive. And I was not putting up with that because I realized in my life that I deserve better. And um, to be treated better, to be respected. And that was not with him. But part of my said part of heart. I'll always be with him because we got through one heck of a basketball together and it's it's like there. He was the first place I came from. It was just a, it's a good thing. But realizing as hard as it is sometimes I had to let go and I had to move on and if that is the way that it has to be and if and that You know, it is what it is. And I realized the second one, I realized that I was afraid for my life. And I was afraid that he could show up anywhere and find me and kill me. That and possibly do bad things. That this had to end for my, my literal safety. And so that was that. And then as if things, you know, in terms of that department meet somebody turned out to be thought well I thought was really nice but I realized I wasn't attracted to him and um I realized I was just awkward I was just just genuinely creeped out and I was like maybe we could be friends and he was a gentleman and that he paid for things but then I would notice a flag where he would ask what movie do you want to see no, we're seeing this movie. And the movie happened to be Zero Dark Thirty. And to this day, I cannot watch a movie. And he would get me all the stuff on things that he liked. Like World War II and color and military books. And um, he got me this, this video game I was talking about. And it was just uh, after the incident of once this movie, we got back in the car. And he locked the car door put a seatbelt on, I put my seatbelt on, so I'm thinking we're going home, door still locked, turns off the car, and does the seatbelt, leans over on top of me, so I can't get anywhere, and he just, he goes with me, and I was freaked out, I didn't know what to do, I didn't know how to respond, I was scared, and I never wanted to get out of a moving car faster in my life, because at that point, I just wanted to go home. And we were driving, and man, I was looking at the road like, man, tuck and rolling out of this car sounds so good right now. Uh, I got home, he walked in the door, and he tried to go in front of the kiss, and I ducked it. And then after that, I just, and it was probably the worst thing ever. Nobody wants to get dumped by text, but I just spilled my guts on a text because I couldn't do it. And then after that, it became finding me on every place ever, like, the previous person, it became, if I was out with my best friend, he was there. Um, if I was at university, he was there. 
and it was just like freaking me out and I think it was like the third day in a row that I had the classes and he was there and I would go to this place and get snacks it was kind of the place everybody hung out it's like a little cafeteria and I went there because there was a Chick-fil-A there and I found Chick-fil-A um, and I just stopped dead in my tracks my heart was pounding and he was all like happy and smiley and I was not happy and smiley to see him and I just ran for it and I told an officer in security and keep in mind and I should have put this in the beginning but this person was part of the military and I respect anybody that serves the country but it didn't make sense to me how he was having so much liberty I guess you could say so much like free time to hang out with his college friends and be at the mall I'm like aren't you supposed to be doing whatever you do in the military I don't remember what it is off the top of my head right now but I was like this is just a little too weird and I finally just had to give this ultimatum I was like if you don't leave me alone I'm gonna have no choice but to go to your commanding officer to whoever it is that you go to and file a complaint and I don't want to do that because I don't want to wreck my military career I'm not that type of person but if it gets to that point that's what I'm gonna have to do and from that point he, he left me alone because he knew I was serious since then I have taken a different approach and that was realizing my sexuality that it, there's like a pansexuality but then definitely you have a gray sexuality in terms of I'm very limited to who I am attracted to and sort of figuring that out about myself sort of helped me a lot but going to and answering these questions have you been assaulted have you been this doing having a group therapy of people who have been raped who have been sexually assaulted and seeing the various stages of where they were in the coping feeling and grieving process of this um certainly realize that the emotions i experienced were maybe not as extreme or difficult but that you experienced it in your own way that dealing with when something traumatic like that happens to you and going through this questionnaire brought back these emotions and these pains of what I had been through and I was tempted to answer I don't want to but I was like no I want to be honest and when it came to what could be better was that there are other types of abuse out there that people experience and there are signs of those too and how to handle somebody that has mental illness and there's abuse at play and just things like that that I feel like could be incorporated and I felt like I always feel like if sharing my story can somehow make it better for people down the line uh, for people who have gone through this to know that they're not alone and I know that it's scary and I know that it's painful and I know that it's emotional and I know that just when you think that you might have been past the emotional part that those emotions can sneak up on you I know and I want you to know that I know it's 
scary to Scott to stand up to the person who hurt you. But I want you to know that it's okay. It is okay to stand up for yourself, to get help. I know sometimes it's traumatic, it's humiliating sometimes, uh, a lot of the times, but I want you to know that it doesn't make you a single person and nobody can make you unless you're ready. And that brings me to my issue of consent because there is consent. If you say no, it means no. And I had this issue in a hospital recently where I was given medication and I did not consent to these medications and it had lasting effects on me and the investigation happened and came back and two nurses miraculously covered other nurse, the other nurse and nothing really happened and infuriated me that this can happen and um, made me just realize like how important consent is no matter what the situation, whether it is if you're receiving a medication in the hospital to consenting to something with somebody, you have every single right to say no. And if you feel uncomfortable, don't do it. And if something happens to you, humiliating, wish you the bravery to speak up and get help. And not be afraid to get help, but I know it can be scary to get help. Um, and if you do get help, you are, whether or not, you are a brave human being. And I stand with you. And I hope that you, if you've gone through something, or if you've gone through it, or if it's recently happened to you, that some way, somehow, that you get help, if not from counseling, from going to the police to talking to a best friend to whatever way is going to be easiest for you to to help um and i hope and wish for healing and that you find a way to get like i said to get the help that you need to deal with what happened to you because it did happen and it is not okay what happened to you ever something happens to you without your consent it is never okay ever in a million years you no means no in every sense of the word in every language of the word no means no and you have the power you are not helpless you are not worthless you are brave and you are strong and I know that you have it in you to reach out for help and there are hotlines there's numbers that you can call you don't always have to be brave you know so know that you're not alone that people have gone through this and it's unfortunate that people have gone through being sexually assaulted and raped and you know, horrible things. And uh, know that this person right here 
I got your back, and you are not alone in this. And um, I encourage you to reach out because the person that did this to you does not deserve to get away with it. They deserve to be punished to the end of the law to whatever the law can give them. What they did is not okay, and they cannot get away with it. Reach out. Speak up. You have, in this instance, you have the power to say, they did this to me. Uh, to make sure that it doesn't happen to anybody else. Or to you. Receive counseling. But just know that I stand with you and I know that you are brave and I know that you are worth everything. And you have so much to give in this world and I don't want you to let one person's horrible decision to stop you from having the life that you deserve to have. But don't, don't ignore what happened to you. Don't pretend like it doesn't exist because it does. And I know it's painful. Because you have the power to put them away. You have that power. You always have the power. Remember that. I'm not shuffling with this. I'm going to hold it apart for now. Um, so, what I wanted to say about this is consent is consent. No means no. And don't be afraid to look up what your state's laws are on certain things. Be prepared. Be safe. If you're going out to a party, just practice some safe party essentials. Don't set your drink down and walk away. You know, if you set your drink down and walk away, get another drink. Simple as that. If you don't feel safe, walk away. Tell your friend, we're leaving. Never go to a party without someone with you. If it looks sketchy, just keep on driving. Just don't. And do things to help with your safety. You can take self-defense classes. You can... I mean, that's one thing I just definitely learned from being Girl Scouts was the body system is always having somebody with you. Somebody you can trust, confide in. Yeah. I know this is kind of a damper given that it is holiday season, but it has to be spoken of. And I hope that this holidays that you have a good holidays and that you find peace and you find a healthy way to 
cope with what happened to you and know that I'm here for you and I'm, I've got your back. We're sick together, you know? At least in this family here on this podcast, we're sick together, so. Brave, right? You're strong, you're brave, you're powerful, and you have the power. You always have the power from the get-go. Never forget that. Have a happy holidays. I love you all. Peace. Peace and love and good vibes to you all and a fantastic 2021 to all of us. And um, I wish all of you nothing but the best. And um, I am going to end it from here because this is the part of the evening where I have to do feeding tube related things. So I'm still working on figuring out a communication system. But if you can figure out the one that they have for the Anchor app, be free, feel free to leave a message there. Um, if not, I'm continuing to work on it. And the second that I have something, I will post in the description and make a quick little announcement about it. So um, in the meantime, stay safe out there. Stay blessed. And like I said, all my prayers and good vibes headed your way. And I wish my listeners nothing but the best and know that I believe in each and every single one of you and the potential to be who you are and to become the person that you truly want to be. Happy holidays, everybody. Love you. Bye.